Happy Trinity Sunday. It's Father's Day actually in the States right now, and so I'm in Australia. So Father's Day I think is in September. I actually almost didn't... um, my name is Rob, by the way. Did I say that already? I'm one of the pastors here. Actually, I didn't, for April forgot that, so I almost wanted to just kind of milk it this morning and just say, just have this whole Father's Day celebration and say, yeah, that's not till September. But that probably wouldn't have been smart to do. Um, yeah, so anyways, don't do that. Um, if you've ever been to the GP, which, how many of you have a show of hands have ever been to the GP before? Everybody, right? If you've ever been to the, B, the GP and been prescribed medicine, uh, particularly if it's uh, some kind of heavy antibodies, um, they'll say, remember, take only one of these a day or two or whatever it might be, right? And then you, what happens? You go to the chemist, and when you get to the chemist, essentially the chemist says the same thing, and they even print it out for you sometimes, right? Take only one a day. And you know, it's probably a smart thing to take only one a day because it could be a matter of life or death. Now, for some of you that are a little bit more adventurous, perhaps, maybe some of you have done bungee jumping before. I've always wanted to do that in New Zealand. I haven't done it yet. Uh, Or maybe some of you have been skydiving. Or perhaps maybe some of you have been mountain climbing, or whatever it might be. If you've ever done any of those things, typically you have an instructor with you. And the instructor will say, now listen, before we get up there, you'd have to know this one thing. Don't do this. Right? Or, or make sure that you, you know, pull the parachute. Make sure that you do this. Because it's a matter of life or death. And we, if we're smart, typically listen to that advice. We don't say, ah, whatever. That's your opinion as if it's life or death. We, we usually, we believe that. So too, what we think about God or believe about him is a matter of life or death. When the nation of Israel was rescued out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness, there's this amazing scene where the Lord sets up a meeting with Moses at Mount Sinai. And the people were told, look, don't even come near the mountain when God is speaking to Moses. In fact, let me make this clear. If any of you touch this mountain, you'll be struck dead on spot. And no one dared to doubt that. No one dared to, because, why? Well, because they've seen firsthand the, the miracles done in Egypt, right? They've seen the plagues. They've seen the splitting of the Red Sea. They know that God is mighty and awesome and powerful. And so no one dared to doubt that. And when the day comes, 
And God meets with Moses and it says that there was thunder and lightning and the whole mountain was wrapped in smoke because the Lord came down to it in fire and a trumpet blast. Really pretty gnarly scene. And it says that the people, it was such an awesome moment that the people trembled as you would. And so God speaks to Moses. And it's not the only time God speaks to Moses. He continues to speak to Moses. And time and again, he says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. This is how God permits his people to know him. He reveals himself to Moses or to the prophets and they jot it down accordingly. What God reveals about himself in his word is the basis of what's objectively true about him. Not what we wish was true about him or what we subjectively feel about him to be true. God's word alone accurately represents who he is. So then the questions start rolling in. Okay, fair, fair, fair enough. I mean, you're not surprised to hear something like that in church, but all right, well, what if we read Genesis and Revelation then? Genesis to Revelation. You know, what if we read the warp and woof of Scripture? What, who, who is God? How, how has God revealed himself then? And, and how has he made himself known to us? Well, one way to answer that is to admit that the Lord is triune. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity is at the very heart of who God is. His self-description, as it were. All right. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard earlier something about Trinity Sunday. I see the little thing up there. Oh, no way. You got to be kidding me. This guy's not going to give a whole sermon on some abstract theological thing like the Trinity, is he? Oh, man, I knew this was the morning I should have slept in. It was cold. It was rainy. You know, I could be, I could be, you know, I could be duna surfing right now. Do you know what I mean? I could just be sound asleep. You're not alone if you feel that way. One scholar said in a sort of little cheeky way, talking about the Trinity, he says, the Trinity is a matter of five notions or properties, four relations, three persons, two processions, one substance, and no understanding. <laughs> now, if we're honest, the concept of the Trinity can feel like a complicated math problem more than a foundational life and death truth. But despite the confusion and seemingly irrelevance of it, the doctrine of the Trinity is true biblical, precious, and is much more practical than you might even realize. And in light of this fact, for many years now, churches here in Australia, in the States, throughout Europe, have set aside one Sunday of the year to think on, sing about, and pray through arguably one of the most crucial doctrines of the Christian faith, the Trinity. And that's why today, actually, is known as Trinity Sunday. And I am 
thrilled to bits to actually be thinking as a church, as Wyoming Church of Christ, about the implications of the Trinity, what it means. Because here's the deal. This is what St. Augustine said when he comments on the Trinity. St. Augustine said this, In no other subject is error more dangerous or inquiry more laborious, some of you are already asleep, or the discovery of truth more profitable. I would imagine that some of you at least resonate with the first two points. We're nervous to say too much or too little about the Trinity, right? And stumble into some heinous false teaching. I mean, how can God be three persons and yet one God? Doesn't make any sense. Also, we may feel that reflecting on the Trinity is laborious, tiresome, or exhausting. I mean, good night. Isn't that just what eggheads do on their spare time? But it's my prayer that you'd come to resonate with the last bit of this quote from Augustine, where the discovery of truth in regards to the Trinity is not only profitable, but a real eye-opener which causes you to stand in awe of God and worship Him. God has disclosed himself through his word and the way that he has disclosed himself to get the very heart of God is a trinity, a triune God. So here's where we're going this morning. Is the trinity biblical? That's the question I want to ask because it's not in the Bible. No creed but the Bible, some people say. Not here with the southern accent, but no creed but the Bible. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, so why are we Trinitarian? Is that just some philosophical conundrum made up by the Greeks a couple hundred years ago and we're just supposed to sign off on it? The word Trinity is not in the Bible, so is it biblical? Second, how can we summarize the Trinity? How do we summarize this then? I mean, God, three, one, what, huh? Don't get it. And then lastly, what difference does it make? I mean, what payoff is there, if any? Is this... Again, just sort of speculation. What payoff is there? So, that's where we're headed. But before we do and unpack those ideas, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you have created. We pray that as we think about your Son, the Lord Jesus, we pray that the Holy Spirit, you would convict us, illuminate our minds and hearts. And we ask this for your glory, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the word Trinity, the word Trinity is not seen in the Bible. I don't know if you know that, but it's, it's not there. It cannot be referenced in chapter and verse. It's not there. But the idea is certainly there. So it's our job to find ways which accurately reflect what the Bible teaches about the Trinity. In fact, I want us to look at a couple of passages together because we'll, re- because we'll see the realities of the Trinity really kind of like in seed form. But then they take full blossom once you get to the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, we have it in seed form. It's, it's revealed to us, but it's progressing. And then when you get to the New Testament, it's full blossom. Kind of like this. Have you ever entered someone's house? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, and 
when you get there, you enter through, you know, you get in their living room and it's hard to see. Either it's dark outside and only one small light in the corner of the room is on or it's daytime, but there's not enough light coming through the windows. Anyway, you, you can't really see what pieces of furniture are in the living area until more light is shed on them. And when the light is switched on, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize you had such a nice lounge. Or I didn't realize there was a chair there. I mean, it's not that the furniture wasn't there, you just couldn't see it. Well, that's how it is with the Trinity in the Old Testament. As we begin our study together, we get snapshots of the Trinity. But then we can see very clearly once we arrive in the New Testament. And I hope you can see that. So, for example, when you open up the first page of the Bible, you see the Trinity, and Dan already references earlier, you see the Trinity in creation. And do you understand, this is what separates already our theism, as it were, our idea of God apart from many, if not all, other religions. Because if you study other world religions, there's like, a God that dies and he falls over and then out of his dead carcass, you know, there's like, you know, these rodents that come out and they birth these other planets. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff that other world religions will teach. And so we don't have a God like that. We have a triune God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, it says. And then it says, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit. You've already got a glimpse of Father and Son and Spirit. Colossians 1 then, which we won't get to the New Testament yet, Colossians 1 says that Jesus is there acting in creation. Then the Lord uses this plural language in, in Genesis. Right there in Genesis 1 still, very first page of your Bible or of your screen. Right? Let us, he's plural, let, let us make man in our image. You see that again in the Tower of Babel. People create this big tower, say, you know, there's no stairway to heaven. That song's going to come way later, but we're going to build a stairway to heaven for now, our own stairway to heaven. And, And then God comes down and it says, let us go down. Let us confuse their language. All right, turn with me to Psalm 45. I I want you to see this psalm. Um, We're going to be kind of flipping around. But Psalm 45, this is a beautiful wedding song. The king is ready to get married. You know, there's a wedding celebration, and there's a description here of the bride and groom. And then in in Psalm 45, it's interesting. When you look at verse 6, notice that the king, how he's addressed. Psalm chapter 45, verse 6. Psalm 45, 6. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You notice the king there. That's, that's who's, remember, the king, this is a celebration. This is a wedding celebration. And notice the king is addressed as God, whose throne will last forever and ever. But then, still speaking to this person called God, catch what it says in verse 7. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Look carefully. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. There are two separate persons called God. Do you see that there? And here's what's amazing. In the book of Hebrews, 
the author actually picks up this psalm, okay? You just picture like he, you know, takes it, puts some super glue on it, and slaps it on the back of Jesus, basically. Might be a weird picture, I guess. That just came to me. But he applies it to Jesus. Showing, oh, see, do you see, they're already we're getting this idea that there is God the Father and God the Son. Now, let's look at another Old Testament passage. And I'm about to catch everyone under 20 years old here, which is a risk. You'll see what I'm saying. Somehow, I'm going to tie the Trinity to Taylor Swift, so be ready. Even though Ross is a hater. So if you don't, you know, young adults, this will be your time to, you know, reflect at lunch, hey, wow, the Trinity, Taylor Swift, this is really, you know, it's either blasphemous or I don't know what it is, but here we go. So turn to Ezekiel with me, Ezekiel 34. Um, Ezekiel 34, it's okay, you can look at your table of contents if you know, don't know where that's at, unless you have a digital and then you can just push a button. But Ezekiel 34, this is the backdrop to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Uh, there's an anticipation in Ezekiel, uh, particularly in Ezekiel 34, of a better shepherd who's from the line of King David. It's, it's his great, 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 great grandson. But he's also God. He's also God. But for the time being, the nation of Israel has some real dodgy shepherds. And so we, this, we see this in, in Ezekiel 34, verse 2, um, this, this indictment on them, right? He says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, that's, he's just talking to Ezekiel there, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord. So you see this indictment on them? Here, here, here's the people that claim to be shepherds, claim to be leaders. They're, these are the religious leaders of God's people in Israel during the day. And the Lord brings in this indictment on them. And he says, prophesy against these shepherds. And then notice in verse 6. Verse 6, it says, My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is exactly what happens in the Gospels when Jesus looks around and he sees people who are like sheep without a what? Shepherd. And then in verse seven, God says, you know what? This is, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna come, I'm coming now, and I'm gonna clean house. It's on. I'm not sending these shepherds anymore who misrepresent me. I'm coming. Verse seven. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, God surely because my sheep has become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there are no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what, this is what the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. Now, now, here's the thing. As you keep reading here, God makes it clear that he's going to come, he's going to clean house, he's, he's going he's gonna to do it, and he uses the language, I'm coming. 
I will feed the sheep. I myself will do it. I, me, I will do this. Me, me, me. Me, he, he. Woo, hoo, 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 hoo. I'm the only shepherd for you. Anyway, I'll stop. Yeah, no idea what I was just singing? Ignore it. We'll, we'll carry on. But now look at verse 23. Because there's these eyes or me, he, he's. And verse 23, look at, look at verse 23. This is, this, this is the big turning point here. This is the big crescendo. Notice, and I, there's that language again, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Wait a minute, that sounds nice in all Ezekiel, but are you mad? David's dead, bro. He's long since been dead. King David, you know, good, good guy, kind of a nasty guy at times, but a good guy. But he's way gone, Ezekiel. Who are you talking to? Have you gone off your, like, you're off the rails. Obviously, it's not literally King David. It looks to a king who takes on the very identity of God, right? So, so we have a coming one who is human, but also divine, a God-man. And then, ready, drum roll. What does Jesus say when he enters the scene? What does Jesus say in John 10? Remember, that's the backdrop to Ezekiel here. I am the good, what, shepherd. I'm the person that Ezekiel's talking about. And then it's really cool because if you keep reading through the Old Testament, you get a glimpse of this close relationship like this of the Spirit and Messiah. In Isaiah 11 and 42 and 61, you get this anticipation of a day when the Spirit comes. The Messiah will have the Spirit in full measure isn't that what he says when he enters the synagogue in his home, hometown? He unrolls the prophet Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is what? Is upon me. The Messiah will pour out the spirit. And don't we see this distinction too when we arrive now in the Old Testament? Father and the Son and the Spirit at Jesus' baptism. Jeanette just did a great job reading that for us. You have the Father speaking. You have the Son being baptized, and you have the Spirit descending like a dove. And that's why when Jesus, at the very tail end of Matthew, says, when you baptize people, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, the Old Testament gives us snapshots of the Trinity. And finally, when we arrive at the New Testament, we clearly see Father, Son, and Spirit, but it's building off the Old Testament. Remember that I told you it's like walking into a house and not seeing all the furniture that's there until someone flicks on the light. That's kind of how it is now. Now something new happens in the New Testament, and the Trinity is everywhere. It's like, um, have, has, has there, have you ever had something that you're unaware of before? <coughs> you know, like it's just, I don't know, a particular color of a car. 
He didn't really notice that it was on the road. And then someone said, wow, do you know that, you know, the new um, Mini Coopers, are, they actually make them in this own teal color. And you're like, oh, really? And then you see it everywhere <laughs> after that, right? Like, oh, there it is. There's another one. Teal color, Mini Cooper, got it. And he just, he, it's just all over the place. That, that's kind of how it is. In the Old Testament, we're able to see pictures, but when the New Testament, it just, it's everywhere. One scholar named B.B. Warfield said it this way. He said, I find this helpful. He said, the Old Testament may be likened to a chamber richly furnished but dimly lighted. The introduction of light brings into it nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clearer view much of what was in it but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. The mystery of the Trinity is not revealed in the Old Testament, but the mystery of the Trinity underlies the Old Testament revelation and here and there almost comes into view. Thus, the Old Testament revelation of God is not corrected by the fuller revelation which follows it, but only perfected, extended, and enlarged. That's kind of more of a technical way as I was trying to say about the idea of flicking on the light. And again, so this word Trinity though, even in the New Testament... Even because, again, Jesus' baptism, it's not, in, it's, not, it's not in the Bible. It's not, it's not there. It doesn't say, and thus you must believe in the Trinity. T-R, I, I don't even try to toss. So the word Trinity cannot be spotted in a chapter and verse. So at the end of the day, the term simply helps us make sense of all of the biblical data, you see. Now, some of you might say, okay, well, I'm convinced Sort of, I guess, yeah, I get, yeah, it makes sense. Trinity is biblical, all right. But how am I going to recall this stuff anyways? Particularly when those people come knocking on my door, right? And I'm supposed to say, yeah, I believe in the Trinity. Oh, you do? What's that? God is, maybe you could just sing the song. I believe in God the Father. It might freak him out. But hey, it's true. But how are we to summarize the Trinity then? And how, how can we sort of distill this down? And this has been my prayer. This is what I've been, this is why I was up at four this morning going, ah, like how am I going to make this not heretical and yet understandable all at the same time? So I'm going to have a go, all right? So how are we going to summarize the Trinity? Um, I couldn't basically spin it better than I think Wayne Grudem does. Wayne Grudem is a godly guy, teaches at Phoenix Seminary, he's written many books. One book he writes is called Systematic Theology. And here's what he says. I, th- I find this really helpful. He says, in fact, this phrase, if you want to write it down, with the person sitting next to you, it might even be worth trying to memorize this together. Andrew Linegar and I, sorry, Andrew, are actually trying to memorize this together because it's just helpful. It's just a nice summary. On the Trinity, ready? God is three persons, That's number one. Number two, each person is fully God. Number three, there is one God. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. So God is three persons. Now, I want to read a verse to you. Just listen. 
Hear this verse. I do this with my kids. See if you can hear the Trinity in this verse. It comes, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he wraps up the letter, gives them a benediction and he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Did you hear the three persons of the Trinity? Yeah, they're mentioned. Yet they're distinguished from each other. Did you see that? He didn't say they're God. God is triune. The first person of the Godhead is the Father. The second person of the Godhead is the Son. The third person of the Godhead is the Spirit. You know, again, perhaps you've read something in your Bible before where maybe you didn't know about God. Or maybe a pastor or an author or whatever. You went to a conference. And again, it's like that Mini Cooper. I pray, friends, that as we're thinking through this stuff, it wouldn't just be sort of information floating around out here, but now we go back to the Bible and it sort of haunts you in a good way. You just see it everywhere. It's like, wow, this is, this is amazing. So when you come to passages like this, you say, wow, why didn't I see this before? This is so clear. So God is three persons. Also, each person is fully God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all divine. Now there was the book of Acts. Some of you are familiar with this story. There was a pretty shady couple, right? A man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira. And, you know, they thought, hey, you know, you know what we could do? Let's sell a piece of property. And, hey, honey, let's have a little quick chat together. What if we made some cash off of this? Which they had in the right to do that, I suppose. But, you know, they kept back part of the money for themselves. And they brought the rest of it to the apostles' feet so people could say, wow, look, you gave to the building fund. Look at you. Woo, you're amazing. Peter knows and he sees right through it. And what does Peter say? He says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Did you hear that? Lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you've received from, from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You see, he's saying you could have done this thing, but yeah, here's the problem. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. You've lied to God, who is what? Holy Spirit, you see. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Peter equates the Holy Spirit with God. And it's important that we understand this, friends, because the Holy Spirit is not a force that can, or, or, or liquid. Be careful in your prayers and in your teaching of your children that you do not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is a person and that can be grieved. It's aren't grieved, liquids aren't grieved, and the, I guess the force can be grieved, I don't know, but I'm thinking of Star Wars. It's, it's, not, it's not a force, it's not a liquid, it's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. God is three persons, each person is fully God. And we see Jesus as fully God too. I think that one's pretty obvious, right? In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, you know, John 1, famous one, where it became flesh, dwelt among us. See God the Father clearly. The Bible's very clear. Listen, the Bible's very clear that there is one and only one God. The three different persons of the Trinity are one in essence, one in their essential nature. There are not three gods. There is only one God. Think of the Shema. What was any good Jewish boy or girl taught? They start their day, they say this three times a day, and if you're a good little Jewish boy or girl, you start the day off shouting this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Or how about Isaiah 45? I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. Okay, fair enough. Maybe you're like, all right, we've kind of thought about the Bible, we've kind of thought the implications of the Trinity, but what honestly payoff is there? I mean, yeah, I might memorize it with a person next to me, but, you know, hey, I'm still going to watch MasterChef this week and I'm not going to be quoting that at the Cooks or whatever. Okay, so like, what, what significance does this have, really? I mean, all, is all this stuff just kind of mathematical nonsense? I have to say, you can't make sense of Christian faith. You can't make sense of God. You can't make sense of your salvation without understanding the Trinity. Because someone might say this, well, I have faith in Jesus. That sounds good, right? Well, I have faith in Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Jehovah Witnesses say that. It's a different Jesus from the Bible, though. I have faith in Jesus. Their belief in Jesus, though, is not one which reflects the Bible, and ultimately, that Jesus can't save you. So if you have a Jesus who's going to make an atoning sacrifice for your sins, he needs to be none other than God himself. And he can't be God the Father. To some of the oneness churches, the Unitarian churches, what do they do? They take God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and they conflate them. Okay? So they say there's just different modes of God. That's wrong. God the Father did not die on the cross. God the Father sent God the Son who made a propitiation for sinners. If God the Father died on the cross, think about it, hello, Think about scientifically. Ross and I were chatting about this the other day. If God the Father died on the cross, and I, and I asked a oneness Pentecostal this before. Unitarians, they're the people that think, you know, just smush them all together, right? If God the Father died on the cross, I asked him, do you believe then at Calvary <laughs> that God sort of set up the world and said, all right, looks good, looks good. I gotta go. 
crucified on the cross, and then the world, the cosmos, spins on its own. Because if God the Father died, the cosmos is going to explode. <laughs> it's going to spin out of orbit. It's going to go nuts. And you also, by the way, Jesus is quite senile in, when he prays. Oh, Father, if this is possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, but what? Yours be done. And then he goes, hold on. We put on a mask here. It is my will that you take the... Yeah, I know, I'm still that guy. Oh, yeah, hold on. Lock the dude up. He's mad. Right? You have distinctions. We, 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 we worship a God who is triune. So that's one simple implication. But how does this work out in our daily lives? I want, I want you to look at one last passage. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 18. In Ephesians 2, it's a great passage. A lot of Trinity in the Bible, specifically in the book of Ephesians, is great. Ephesians 2.18. Notice, think Trinity. Think, think of the, the, the Mini Cooper. Don't think of Taylor Swift. That, that's already gone now. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you see that there? Through who? That's right. How do we approach God? We have access to the Father through the Son, right? By his saving work, by the Spirit. When we pray, we address God as our Father but we do so in and through what Jesus has done for us. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. You ever wonder that? Why do we always stamp the end of the prayer in Jesus' name? Is it some kind of magic, magic formula, right? Why do we stamp it in Jesus' name? It's not some magical formula, but we do so because we are distinguishing between the persons of the Godhead. Even if you realize that or not, when you pray in Jesus' name, you're acknowledging the Trinity, actually. As we think rightly about God as Trinity, it will shape our prayer life. Right thinking, right practice. It's pretty simple. You have bad thinking, you have bad practice. Do you know how many Christians I've counseled that have made awful decisions because they have bad thinking about God? Right thinking leads to good, healthy, right living. Period. So as we think rightly about God as a trinity, it will shape our prayer life. It will shape the way that we do missions. One of the competitors of Christianity that you could say today would be Islam, at least for the last couple hundred years. Islam does not, you have to understand, this is where we divide big time with them. Because they'll say, oh yeah, I, I, I like that. that. That's good, some of the ideas. And you know, Jesus was a prophet. And, and we say, well, no, no, hold on. Let's go back to our little phrase again. What is our phrase? God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There's one God. And a Muslim will say, no way. That's blasphemy. But we have to, in, under, in order for them to sort of be pushed over the line and understand and 
getting an understanding of who God is, we have to be able to drive that to them and then explain that to them. Say, oh, that's cool. If you believe in Allah, I guess Allah is just a, in a, in a sort of a term for God in your language. No. Allah comes with it all kinds of baggage. That's not God. It's not the God of the Bible whatsoever. So it drives us. It drives us in our mission. It drives us in our evangelism. I mean, just think about it this way. I think it drives us in our worship as well. Because when you look at the Bible, what do you see? And you think about the Trinity. You see a father who initiates your salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1, right? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You have a father who initiates, a son who redeems, and a divine spirit who applies. A father who initiates, a son who redeems, and a divine spirit who applies. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The brother who wrote that song was a missionary to India. And when he looked around, he saw all of the, quote, gods. And he said, no, 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 no. There's only one God. Each person is fully God, right? Merciful, holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. I pray that even today as you're thinking about this, maybe for the first time in decades, maybe for the first time in your life, look, maybe if you're a Christian here, you haven't been taught this at all. Maybe this is the first Trinity Sunday. I don't know, I can ask Marge Verge this. Maybe this is the first Trinity Sunday in 68, 69 years coming up. Don't know. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you have to understand that God has created all that exists. He's created you, that you've been separated, you've rebelled against God because of your sin, that he's made a way to know him, to approach him through his son, Jesus Christ. And I pray now that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is now working on your heart, drawing you to the Lord. Let's pray. And as I pray, I'm going to pray. Do you guys remember when I, we're talking about prayer and I showed you this, that book called Valley of Vision, that green book, they're Puritan prayers. It's a beautiful prayer that I read this week and I thought, I can still pray this prayer. It's written out. I'm going to pray this prayer. So join me as we pray. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation, Heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit, I adore Thee as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons for bringing sinners to Your knowledge and to Your kingdom. O Father, Thou hast loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. O Jesus, Thou hast loved me and assumed my nature. Shed thine own blood to wash away my sins. Wrought my righteousness, wrought, wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, thou hast loved me and entered my heart. 
implanted there eternal life, revealed to me the glories of Jesus, three persons and one God. I bless thee, O Lord. Amen. Great prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. Now we're going to continue singing about these realities. And um, two books I'd recommend if you're keen. Maybe you've had enough Trinity until next year, until next Trinity Sunday. I hope not. But Michael Reeves' Delighting in the Trinity. It's a wonderful book. It has lots of pictures in it too. And um, I have that in my office. So if anyone wants to borrow it, it's there. Um, and I've got some other books as well. So let's, I hope today was beneficial for you. I was telling April, I kind of felt like, um, you know, my, some of my kids eat vegetables. Most of them don't like vegetables. Okay? Yeah, I know. I guess maybe that might be true. But they need to eat them. If you have if you raised kids, you know, you're not like, oh, that's cool. If, look, if you don't like vegetables, don't worry about eating them. You know that it's healthy. And I thought, you know, today, this Sunday, I was telling this to, to Dan and to Rob, I think it's going to sort of lean on the side of kind of more information, but it's good vegetables. We are Trinitarians. If you look at our statement of faith online, like, who are we, Wyoming Church of Christ? Whether you sort of say, well, whatever. That's one of the very first things that we have. Like, if you look up on our website, it like, talks about the Trinity. And by the way, can I just say it as a side note? That's the reason I felt sort of okay to, like, move. That was the very first thing I looked for. Uh, I didn't know who, why, when I was looking for a job here, one of the very first things I said, are they Trinitarian? If they're not, pff, X, goodbye. <laughs> because how do I know that you're Christians or not? Well, because we say we are. No. You have to confess you are. I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna, not going to sing that one, but that's a good one. And so go look at our website. We are Trinitarians. This is important. I, I pray that it, it washes over you in a way that creates a deeper awe of who God is and disclosed himself. If you care, if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, really. You don't have to think it's the most exciting, amazing thing in the world and go get Trinity t-shirts. Right? And don't get one as an egg or a water. Don't watch out for all that stuff. But I pray that there's been some realization going, oh, wow, yeah, this, this makes a whole lot more sense. And I'm actually able to think about the Father initiating my salvation, the Son actually accomplishing, redeeming, and then the Spirit applying it. That's amazing. Eternity past now, and then all the way into the future. It's exciting stuff. Let's have the worship team come up. Let's all stand and sing together this final song. Communion. You want it? Go. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. We know what we're doing. It's all good.